This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley. So how you doing? Have you survived this weekend's weather? I hope your friends, family that you might have in the Northeast or the Midwest are well as they experienced a full-on blizzard. It's the same way you'd prepare for a natural disaster or Armageddon. As much as two feet of snow was forecast, more than 80 million of us in the storm's path. But that's not all that happened in the past week. We began with the 30th observance of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, a spirit-filled service at Dr. King's home church, Ebenezer, followed by a parade and this. Nonviolence is a powerful and just weapon. The rare release of a recording of Dr. King, his 1964 Nobel Prize lecture, where he talked about nonviolence, dignity, and equality. Indeed, it is a weapon unique in history, which cuts without wounding and ennobles a man who wills it. Then, his declaration that the fight for civil rights is far from over. The demand for dignity equality, jobs, and citizenship will not be abandoned or diluted or postponed. If that means resistance and conflict, we shall not flinch. We shall not be cowed. We are no longer afraid. And he would end this way. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Thank you. On the King holiday, actress Jada Pinkett Smith, the wife of concussion star Will Smith, going to Facebook to announce via video that she would not be attending this year's Academy Awards. For the second year in a row, there are no African-American actors nominated. I will not be at the Academy Awards and I won't be watching. Filmmaker Spike Lee, recognized with an honorary Oscar this season, also writing on the King holiday that he's not participating. He told Good Morning America. I have never used the word boycott. All I said was my wife my beautiful white time, we're not coming. Instead, he bought back his tickets to the Knicks game, and he'll be at Madison Square Garden on February 28th. Now, when asked by George Stephanopoulos if comedian Chris Rock should back out of hosting the show... Chris Rock is a grown-ass man. He he's going to do what he wants to do, and I support either way. I've never used the word boycott. I never have said to anybody... It's like, do you? The Oscar-nominated director calls the debate over the diversity and the nominations and the fact that the Academy is 94% male, 77% white, a diversion. We're not in the room. When they had these green, uh, green light meetings quarterly where they look at the scripts, they look who's in it, and they decide what we're making, what we're not making. We are not in the room. He called it a diversion, and Will Smith agrees, telling GMA anchor Robin Roberts in another exclusive interview. It's a systematic bias that needs to be addressed. Everyone is beautiful and deserving, and it's fantastic, but it feels like it's going the, 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 the wrong direction. He was very deliberate in his speech. So when I look at the series of nominations of the Academy, it's, it's not reflecting that beauty. And he does not like the direction to which Hollywood has turned. The nominations reflect the Academy. The Academy reflects the industry, reflects Hollywood. And then the industry reflects America. It reflects a series of challenges that we are having in our country at the moment. A number of challenges. There's 
a regressive slide towards separatism, towards racial and religious disharmony. And that's not the Hollywood that I want to leave behind. That's not the industry, that's not the America I want to leave behind. In fact, Will Smith says he doesn't really have as much of an issue with the nominations in that he's never lost the two times he was nominated for Best Actor to a white actor. Once he lost to Denzel Washington, another time he lost to Forrest Whitaker. He does agree that there does need to be more people of color in those meetings where the decisions are made about the movies that are going into production. I think that um, diversity is the American superpower. And he says we need to put that superpower to work. That's why we're great. So many different people from so many different places adding their ideas, their inspiration, and their influences to this beautiful American gumbo. He credits Quincy Jones with schooling him on the ways of Hollywood and helping him to be successful. Quincy Jones grabbed me really early and showed me the ropes. Um, you know, he, he taught me the game. But he is keeping everything in a very specific perspective. We make movies. This is it's not that serious. It's not that serious. Uh, except that it plants seeds for dreams. And he wants those seeds to flourish, and he wants people of people of all colors to see themselves represented in the work that Hollywood creates. Now, it's possible there's some fatigue in our society with respect to the issues of diversity, but the need for civil and human rights being met is essential. So joining us now is the ever-dapper Derek Nyong'o. He is the new leader of our city's national center, international center, in fact, of civil and human rights. Derek, first thing I see about you, you are a man about town when it comes to fashion. Looking great. <laughs> Candace, thank you so much. You, you, you blessed me with your wonderful commentary there. So you have taken over, you took over immediately back in December yes. as the new CEO of the National Center for Civil and Human Rights. Tell us what, what drew you to, to the position to come here. The, 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 the body of work that is involved was really compelling. It starts off with civil rights and how we as Americans really started that work here in Atlanta. Uh, the civil rights movement was born in a big way and how that has been connected to human rights, uh, which is the other part uh, of the work that we have uh, in that building at the Center for Civil and Human Rights. But what drew me to it is that I personify that uh, whole experience. I'm a former refugee uh, from Uganda into Kenya where I was raised by an American woman from Pittsburgh. <laughs> if you haven't met girls from Pittsburgh, you should meet them, they're, they're fun. Uh, but through that whole experience of being a refugee, I really saw the dire need and the, the abuses that come as a result of disrespecting rights, people's rights in general. So when I got to uh, get this position, I thought that the intersections made sense for my career, and, but also for my own story. What plans do you have going into your first year as the leader of the organization? The first, the first plan is to really develop, a, construct a narrative that makes sense for everybody. Uh, I think most people think, oh, civil rights are right there for some people, and human rights are right here for some other people. 
but I'm, I'm good. I don't need any rights. But you know what? As long as you're drinking clean water, you have a right. As long as you get an education as a girl or as a boy, that's a right that is afforded to you by the state. And it has to be given to you because you need it to advance in society. So I think that sometimes we forget uh, what these institutions are here for. They are cultural institutions that remind us from whence we've come. And disrespecting them or not paying attention to them can really put us in some danger. We can regress in our morals. We can regress in our ethics. We can regress in how we view each other. And so I think this is really, really important that we protect and really announce uh, that particular thing. So the narrative will be important. The second piece will be to bring as many people to see that narrative. Uh, we have uh, kind of uh, 1.6 million students in the state of Georgia, 1.6 million uh, that are in public school. And the way public school works sometimes is that not every kid goes to a field trip because some field trips are expensive. You mm. have to pay for them. So we are going to try and figure out a way to get the corporate world to partner with us to bring these kids in. Uh, because you know what? If you are going to have a child come and uh, work for you and they don't understand the other, and they don't understand that word diversity, they don't understand the word inclusion, you're going to pay a heavy price for it. You know, It's called a classic action suit. Uh, and if you don't understand that, Trust me, it's going to face up. So if we do the work early on and teach these kids what civil rights are, what human rights are, including others, m means very important to the marketplace, then we don't have to pay for those big bills uh, later on when they are grown-ups. So creating an environment, a milieu in which we respect each other, means we have to teach our kids earlier on. So we will be getting a lot of traffic from high schools and schools and in general. But lastly, we want, we want to manage this center uh, in a way that Atlanta owns it. My God, if I can get Atlanta to really understand what they have, it's a beautiful building, but also the work inside there is who we are. When you go to London and ask people about London, they will tell you something about London. It's fashion. It's the financial district of Europe. When you go to New York, oh my goodness, ah, the stock exchange. Every city, every big city yes. has something. What do we have? You can say the airport. We can say... Coca-Cola, we can say UPS, but we can also say the Center for Civil and Human Rights. This is where everything began. That's right. Atlanta is the birthplace of the movement. Yes. And Derek, some people might think of the Center for Civil and Human Rights as a museum, a place to look at things that have happened in our past. Yeah. But if we watch the news, read the headlines... Mm -hmm. Many of the, the biggest news stories of the last year dealt with those very same things, civil rights, yeah. human rights. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a presidential candidate who would like to keep people in immigration crisis mm -hmm. out of our country mm -hmm. today. Yeah. You know, and this is where the problem becomes a big problem. When we don't understand what this work was by Martin Luther King, by Roosevelt, Miss Roosevelt, what they were doing was to create an environment in which these diverse voices can actually make sense out of our cultural bearings, our, out of our political bearings, out of our economic bearings. When you start to exclude, you get into territory that becomes confrontational and you start to create enemies 
Exclusion creates enemies. Inclusion creates friends. And friends create a marketplace that becomes bigger and we all benefit from. So the center's role will be trying to take these voices that are being excluded to, in, to bring them into the mainstream of conversation, that way we can actually understand w from whence they come. What are their needs and how can we help them solve their needs? You know, I, as you can tell from my accent, I'm originally Ugandan. My son's name is Kayongo and his nickname at school is Kangaroo because the kids can't pronounce his name. Oh. But his, you know, when he came to me and said, Dad, can you believe they call me Kangaroo? I said, well, they, they have called me worse. But that's, you know, Kevin, it's life. Now work to be included and teach them how your name is spelt and spoken and said and once they learn and they and you work hard at school and you you're a contributor they will learn your name and they will accept you everybody has worked to be included here in the united states if you're irish american you've worked to be included if you're italian american you've worked to be included but how do we work to be included we don't take guns to workplaces and shoot people up we don't do that that's not how america was founded but we work through voices, and the voice that we're talking about is at the Center for, Center for Civil and Human Rights, is to articulate without violence. That's the way to do it. You articulate without being violent. So any out there that are not conversant of that are misguided. Derek, what is your elevator speech to an adult in the metropolitan Atlanta area, someone who is listening to us right now who knows that the Center for Civil and Human Rights exists downtown Atlanta, near the Georgia Aquarium, near the New World of Coke, has not visited. Mm -hmm. What do you tell them to invite them to come into the center and then to come back and bring someone with them? Do you know your history? Do you know where you are? Atlanta is an important part of an incredible history. The civil rights movement gave birth to equality. Labor laws were challenged there. Sitting on a bus, including people, was challenged in that particular conversation. When you come to the center, you will see two juxtapositions. What was done in the US to bring inclusion, what is happening globally to bring inclusion. You see Martin Luther King on one side of the wall, you see Hitler on the other side of the wall. In the middle, you see regular people. On which side do you want to be? We want you to be on the side of Martin Luther King. By coming to the center, you see different exhibits. Right now, we have a beautiful exhibit uh, with the Martin Luther King papers uh, in conjunction with Morehouse. We have the civil rights movement. You see the, the, the bus that has all these civil rights uh, movement people. On the second floor, you see uh, the rights work that was done by Gandhi. Oh, Mandela. Come and see that history. It's part of who you are and bring back your friends. That way they understand where we are. This is a monumental place. Come and see us. You said that Atlanta, indirectly you said that Atlanta is an international city and we know that because of Hartsfield-Jackson International mm -hmm. Airport. Mm -hmm. How do you as the new CEO of the Center for Civil and Human Rights here in Atlanta make it an international global destination for so many of our international visitors? By, by, by becoming, uh, 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 creating a differentiating uh, idea, every city has a call to its, you know, action. If you go to San Francisco, it's the Golden Gate. You know, they have something they can call their own. Ours, to, to really be clear, is that we understand progression. We understand legacy through our civil rights work that we've done. That's the gift we give to the rest of the world. 
Uh, no other city in the U.S. can claim that. They can claim a big airport. They can claim a big corporation. They can claim so many things, but they cannot claim Martin Luther King. They can't do that. Uh, and they cannot claim Andy Young. They can't claim John Lewis. They can't do that. They are all right here. So that's a big thing that I think would differentiate Atlanta from other big cities, is that we are the home of the movement that brings progression and openness and clearance uh, into that particular work. So I don't know who else can claim that. The voice you hear in our studio today is that of Derek Kayongo. He is the new CEO of the National Center for Civil and Human Rights right here in Atlanta. As Derek said a little bit ago, his family fled the Civil War in Uganda, settling in Kenya, eventually coming to the U.S., uh, raised by a Pittsburgh mother. <laughs> but what you may or may not know, and I really want him to tell us about this, was what he did that was so incredible and impactful, the Global Soap Project. Now, mm. I'm going to say that, and there folks, I may have heard something about that at some point, but I mean, that's your story. Tell us what you did. When I came in the U.S. for the first time, I checked into a hotel. And I, as I looked through the hotel room, I went to the bathroom, and they had three bars of soap, facial soap, hand-washing soap, and body soap. I didn't know what the difference was. I still don't. Uh, but I figured, you know, my father made soap, so I'm going to put two bars away for tomorrow. I came back that evening, and they had replaced everything. And I kept on stealing soap for a little while and then realized, you know what, they're going to charge me for it. So I ran very quickly to the concierge. I gave back the soaps and asked him not to charge me for it. He burst out laughing and said, look, you see all these Americans here, they steal soap too. So it turns out I'm not the only person who steals soap. Uh, but the funny part is that then I asked, what about the partially used bar of soap? What happens to that when I leave? He said, we throw those out. And so that began for me this inquisition into this idea of recycling it to give it to poor people around the world because the U.S. hotel industrial complex throws away 800 million bars of soap every year. That is 2.6 million bars of soap every single day. In juxtaposition, we have 2 million kids that die every year to san poor sanitation, and one of them being a lack of soap. So I decided to start this little organization that takes partially used bars of soap, recycles it, makes brand new soap out of it, and we ship it to over 92 countries around the world right now. We are close to making 10 million bars of soap every single day with a factory in Las Vegas, which, as you know, has a lot of uh, uh, sin soap, and uh, Orlando, where we have magic uh, uh, Disney soap, and then, of course, other parts of the world. So that's what the organization is all about. It's taking this little item called soap and giving it to poor kids around the world. Absolutely. I remember when I packed my Operation Christmas Child box yeah. last year, one of the things that's always on the list mm -hmm. for those boxes is a, a washcloth yeah. and a bar of soap for the child. Yeah, it's a, it's a remarkable thing. We take these things for granted. We really do. And we, we, we complain about taking things for granted. We kind of say it, uh, in passing, oh, we take things for granted, and we kind of walk and do nothing about it. But you know what? When we apply ourselves... We can actually turn these things into blessings for other people around us. Uh, this is what I'm trying to do at the center as well, is to help young kids appreciate what they have. You know, the freedom to walk around at 6 p.m. and go to a friend's house and come back safely is unbelievable. I didn't have that when I was growing up. I had a curfew. 
we had to be in our houses by 6 p.m. like little chickens. So the freedom to express yourselves, you know, in fashion and or in speech or uh, to do whatever you want is an incredible freedom. And not to understand where it was birthed, that fight to, to be free, is, is being totally responsible. That's where we need to, to really support the Center for Civil and Human Rights because it's the bastion and, and, and the home resting place of this fight. So that's why this is important. Does the Global Soap Project continue as you continue as the new CEO of the center? Yes, it's uh, now merged with the uh, Clean the World. Uh, we are partners now. They're based in Orlando right now. And we have an executive director that leads that. His name is Sam Stevens. So I'm, I'm on the board, but I'm no longer in charge of the day-to-day running. But yeah, it's doing very well. Derek Kayanga, what is it that you want the community to know about you and the center if they don't remember anything else from the time that we spent together today about you and the center going forward into this new year? You know, I usually say when you are spiritually ill, where do you go? You go to a church, a synagogue, or a mosque to repair your spiritual illness. When you're hungry and you want to eat and pay the bills and all that stuff, where do you go to repair that? You go and work for WSB. You go to work. You use your skill sets and get a, a career. But where do you go when you want to empathize and you want, when you want to repair society and you, when you want to build a moral uh, community, an ethical community that respects your right to belong? Where do you go to do that work? You come to the Center for Civil and Human Rights. And we want people to come there and worship under that altar because it's a, it's a sanctity that protects all our rights. Everybody's right, the environment, all the rights that we think are important to our survival reside in that building. So when you come down there, know that you're coming not just to say, oh, you know, they did some good stuff in history. No, it's, it's to remind yourself, and it starts with self, that you're part and you belong to an incredible story. If you're from Atlanta especially, you've got to protect your history. You've got to really understand your history. The city of Atlanta, the state of Georgia, needs to really protect this and be a part of it. So my call is, if you're not there, if, you're not, if you have not come to the center yet, please come. We have a holiday package right now that you can buy and bring your friends. Come back every time you see a bad story on TV. Let the center remind you that that was fought against by somebody. So that's what we are trying to do there. Can we expect to that end a new series of exhibits and programs and speakers in this year? Yes, we are going to see some really good stuff. Um, we have right now uh, the Martin Luther King papers that are, are down in the, on the first floor that you can come and check out. And I know that sometimes it's easy to think of him as his, you know, sort of uh, old news for some people. But you know what? There's something about those young men. They were young people. Yes. They were very young when they did this that should inspire our young to really fight for something. It's about what, what are you here for and what, what are you going to fight for in your life? They fought for freedoms that you're enjoying right now. I fought for soap, <laughs> for access to soap. What are you going to fight for? 
what do you fight for every day when you wake up? So maybe if you want to get that inspiration, you come and look at that exhibit. Uh, but there's a gentleman called Fahamu who's going to be putting together a beautiful exhibit that is coming up uh, very soon. So we will have a, a continuum there of different exhibits that show different situations. We have so many voices there, it's unbelievable. Now the Center for Civil and Human Rights in downtown Atlanta, right between the World of Coke and the Georgia Aquarium, is open seven days a week from 10 in the morning until 5 in the afternoon, and there may be extended hours on weekends. Folks, it's one of the most affordable attractions in town. Admission $15 for adults, $12 for children. For large groups with 10 people or more, that admission only $10 per person. And for every 10 tickets, there's a free ticket. The Center and Civil for Human Rights will also host an event. If you've got something big coming up in 2016, it'll seat 200 theater style, 140 for a lunch or a dinner. For more information, you can call them at 404 991-6970. See there, I did all the heavy lifting for you. Derek Kayongo, the new CEO of the National Center for Civil and Human Rights right here in Atlanta. Congratulations on your appointment. Looking forward to great work in the new year. Thanks for coming by. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, MyAndalusCondo29 on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective.